Something that happens pretty routinely in my house is uh, I'll have had a pounding headache all day long and maybe late in the evening, once the kids are in bed, I'll say to Erica, boy, I've just had this headache. I've had it all day long. And she'll say, well, have you taken Tylenol? No. Well, why not? I don't know. You should take some Tylenol. Would you get it for me? Please. No, you're a big boy. Get it for yourself. So that's kind of how the conversation goes. It's, it happens pretty frequently. And uh, then I'll go, and, and after I've had a whole day of a pounding headache, and I'll get Tylenol, and it seems to, seems to work. It seems to help. But I, I, I kind of think uh, many of us Christians maybe, um, we think it's believing that makes the difference in life. And, and what Paul is saying is, believing is great, but what makes the difference in our lives, how we as Christians lead a victorious life is not through believing, it's through obeying. This is his message. Sometimes I think maybe as Christians, we, we kind of treat our life like we've gone to the spiritual pharmacy, we've bought all, all the good things, we've taken all these truths that we believe and we come home and we stack them in our medicine cabinet and, we're, and they're there. And we know where they are and we can show people where they are, what we believe. But what Paul is, or what James is saying is they don't actually make a difference in your life unless you take them and you take them into yourself and you live by what you believe. It's obedience that makes the difference in life. Leads to victorious living. And so Ken, this is just his theme throughout this book, the importance of obeying what it looks like to live out our faith in all the areas of life. And he kind of starts here at the beginning going right for the jugular. Maybe like the hardest word of instruction we have in the whole book is right at the beginning. If you, if you brought your Bible with you, turn to James chapter one. We're, we're gonna keep that open on your lap here all morning. We're, we're gonna settle in on a few verses there. We are gonna throw the words up on the screen for those of you that don't have your Bible with you. Uh, we want everyone to be able to, to kind of see and take in these words. But I got a dream. I got a dream that, that everyone would walk into this church with a Bible under their arm and a pen ready. And uh, I, I just love it when I see like whole families come in each with their Bible. That's great. Maybe someday the Hildebrands should do that. That's, that's, that's good. Britta's now, she's 10, she can read. She needs to get her own Bible. Um, and I, I just want to say too, if you're someone, uh, maybe you're, you're, you're new to the faith, new to the church, you don't have your own Bible, or you got grandma's old, the thou Bible, you don't understand it. If you go to our welcome center, we'd love to put a Bible in your hands. We think everyone ought to have a Bible. James chapter one, we're gonna read verses two to 18. And I want to invite you to stand as we read this because, well, for two reasons. First of all, just to give you a stretch break, all right, before we go into the message. But more importantly, because it's not something we do very often around here, but uh, one of the ways that we can kind of show the seriousness and, uh, with which we take these words and the sacredness of these words is we just acknowledge that maybe by standing as we read them. When, when this letter would have been delivered to the first churches, the leader of the church would have taken it and in a setting very much like this, he would have just read this whole letter right through. Uh, we're just gonna read verses two to 18 of, um, of James chapter one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, for such a person is double-minded and is unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. And in the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. May God bless his word, amen. Why don't you take your your seat again? We're just gonna spend the rest of our time unpacking these words and man, you you could preach 10 sermons on that and, and he's talking about so much there And you might even think that it's just a bunch of disconnected words and instructions, and yet we're going to find there's a thread here that's going to lead us to some important truths. Um, How would you finish this sentence? I consider it pure joy when I fill in the blank. How would you finish that sentence? I consider it pure joy when I leave Manitoba in January and go to Mexico for two weeks. You know what I consider joy? Every week here, I've I've seen a few really tanned faces walk into church and they look miserable. They're just like, (laughs) I love that. It just makes me happy. (laughs) Ha ha, you had to come back. (laughs) Ha ha, it's still cold. I'm not very spiritual. Uh, (laughs) I consider it pure joy when I obey God. God. Good. Someone said spend time with family. Maybe it's like when all the kids and the grandkids and everyone's together enjoying one another and eating together and playing games. That's awesome. Maybe for some of you, you've got some hobby. You're out. When I'm out in the wood shop, using the tools, making stuff out of wood. (laughs) I I didn't say that was my joy. I just said some of you might find joy in that I mean whatever it is uh, you can fill in the blank what does James say James begins with a statement and and finishes the sentence in maybe the least expected way you could conceive of this is what he says consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face say it trials of many kinds 
Consider it pure joy when you face trials, when you suffer, when you endure hardship. Consider that pure joy. Hmm. Now, I think for, for maybe all of us, that might have been the last thing we would have put in that blank. This morning, I want to do th- three things here, really. I, I want to talk about what we're to find joy in, why we're, we are to find joy in it, and how we are to find joy in it, because that's what he focuses on in these verses here. I want you to notice a couple things here at the beginning in verse two. Notice that he says, find, uh, find it joy when you face trials. He doesn't say if you face trials. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Trials will come. Now James, maybe he remembered what his brother Jesus uh, taught. You you might remember Jesus said to his disciples, uh, in this world you will face troubles. Kind of a promise, a guarantee, and this is what James is saying is, you will, brothers and sisters, you will face trials. It's a guarantee. and, and, and we have to notice that at the beginning because I think some people might be surprised, especially if we put our lives in Jesus' hands, we might be surprised that we face trials or even the sort of trials that we have to face. And, 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 and being surprised by that, maybe aren't ready for that. Has anyone in here ever punched somebody in the face, ever been in a fist fight? Anyone? Raise your hand high if you've ever, just, just be proud. Just be proud. I know God changed your life. We all know that. This is a place of grace. Hold, hold your hand. Who's punched someone in the face? Okay. Some of you I expected. Some of you I didn't expect. It's actually on my bucket list. I haven't done it yet. But I, I want to know how it feels. I just... but I don't want to know how it feels to get punched. I, I've never actually been clocked, never, never done it. But, you know, I've seen, I've seen fighters, I've seen boxers. When a boxer get, gets into the ring, you know, what, 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 what's, the, what's the posture, someone? <laughs> That's probably how I would fight. Come on, come on. <laughs> no. Huh. Right? Legs braced, maybe hands up. Ready, ready for the swing. You ever seen someone take a punch when they weren't ready for a punch? They go down pretty easy. You can be a big guy. You go down pretty easy if you take a punch and you were not ready for a punch. But if you're ready, um, you can take a, it's it's amazing what what sort of blow a person can take. If they're braced, if they're ready, what, what James is saying here is that, James, that, that, uh, that trials will come. You're going to receive body blows in life. Don't be surprised. Be ready. Some of you, you don't need to be convinced by that, right? I mean, you come here this morning in the midst of a trial. Maybe a really difficult trial. Maybe a trial you've been in for a long time. And, and, and there's something heavy that you're carrying and you hear these words of James and you go, okay, James, are you saying, just so we get this right, are you saying that this, this really tough season I'm going through in marriage, I'm supposed to find it pure joy? Is that what you're saying? 
And James says, well, I guess technically that would be an example of a trial of various kinds. Okay, so James, am I, am I hearing you right that every morning when I wake up with this terrible, chronic back pain, day after day, I'm supposed to find it pure joy. Is that what you're saying? And he says, well, yes, technically that would be an example of a trial of many kinds. That word that he uses there, uh, of interpret, or translated of many kinds, is, is just a word that speaks of the whole spectrum of experiences. Like all the, all the, the spectrum of lights, all the different colors, that's this word. There's nothing outside of this. Every possible trial, he says, consider it pure joy, when you face that, no exceptions. Now, that word peer there doesn't mean that, what he's not saying is that you're only supposed to experience joy. Back pain again. What? I love this. I hope I get to wake up with back pain tomorrow too. I, I hope my marriage doesn't get repaired. I kind of like where I'm at. That's not, he's not saying only find joy because you can read that and go, that's, that's not real. You can't, and he's not saying only feel and experience and have joy in these things. I mean, there will be pain, there will be sorrow, there will be sadness. But he's saying you can have real joy. When he says pure joy, he doesn't mean fake joy, he means genuine, real joy. Our trials should be an occasion, can be an occasion for genuine joy. This is the claim he's making. Why? Why are we to find joy in our trials? Well, he goes on there. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and, say it, complete, not lacking anything. Why? Are we to find joy in trials? Can we find joy in trials? It's because James is saying trials are God's pathway to our maturity. They are God's pathway to our completion. Now that word complete there, it, it's, it's a word that speaks of the wholeness of something. So it's a word that would talk about a, a body that, that is whole, it is strong, it has no sickness, no weakness, it is whole, it is complete. And he says trials are the means by which God brings you to that place, that completion. It's his means. It's his only means by which that can be accomplished. I mean the mountaintops are great, we've all been on mountaintops. But God transforms us through the trials more than he transforms us through the triumphs, right? Through the valleys more than the mountaintops. James in verse three here calls, uh, if we go back to that, he calls trials a testing. You can consider it joy because you know that the testing of your faith, that trial, that testing produces perseverance. Now that that word there, anytime it's used in the scriptures, almost every time, it, it refers to a refining fire that is purifying like gold, 
silver, something like that. It's talking about a crucible, a refining fire. What James is saying is your trials, it might feel like your house is burning down and the only thing, the only good thing to do is to put out the fire before it completely destroys you. He says that's not the sort of fire you're in in trials. It's not a house fire that you have to put out or it'll destroy you. It's a refining fire that is doing work in you if you allow it to. He says, trials serve two purposes. A refining fire serves two purposes. They are necessary to reveal you, to reveal the real you, and then to refine you, to change you. And so, uh, this is a bottle of water. Now, it's not completely pure water, a little hazy, drinkable, right? Jordan, you drink that, right? Maybe. Maybe. You've been to the Amazon, you would drink that. Anyway, so you can have a bottle and, and it looks kind of pure. I mean, if we kind of envision this as us and then life comes along and life does what life does. You know what? Beats you up a little bit. Kind of turns you around. Shakes you up. Whoa! Okay. It's a little bit different. Uh, there's, there's some dirt in here. There's some impurities in here. I didn't see it before. Where was it? It, it, was, it had settled. I mean, under calm conditions, when it just sits there, all, the, all that stuff, it's not that it's not there. It, it just kind of settles in the bottom, and it looks like, okay, this is, this is what it's like, but that's not what it's like. I mean, what, what, what trials do is they, it, it, it stirs the water of our lives, and it shows us what's there. I remember, I, I'm, a, I'm a small town kid, right? Born and raised in a small town, learned to drive a car in a small town. Never really did much city, big city driving. Lived in Blind River, a little itty bitty town in northern Ontario for nine years where I began in ministry. Occasionally we had to go down to Toronto for conferences and whatever. I remember the first time I was down in Toronto. Some of you, you've driven in Toronto. If you know Toronto, you know the 401 kind of that main artery right through the city. You ever driven the 401 rush hour? I didn't, I didn't think something like that existed. I didn't. I'm a little prairie kid. And you know what I discovered about myself? I have road rage issues. <laughs> yeah, ask my wife. I got a road rage issue. I... See, see, Blind River, you could cross the whole town in two minutes. There was one stoplight. And if, if it was red, two and a half minutes. And so here I am in Toronto, and, and I discovered something about myself. Wow. I got some road rage issues here. I'm, in, I'm, I'm an impatient person. Now, I, I remember when this happened, thinking, did I, did I change? Is, am, I, am I new? Or is there something there that was there, but I didn't know it was there? It, it was just, it, it, took, it took something difficult to bring what was settled on the bottom to light. This is what trials do. I mean, this is a refining fire. The first thing it does is in the midst of that, whatever it is, that, that hunk of metal, it, what bubbles out, it reveals the impurities. What's actually in there. 
And, and so when I do weddings, and I've probably officiated a few weddings of people in here, I, I just love to quote the words of Paul that we have in 1 Corinthians 7, that one verse that says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. I love pulling that out at weddings. You know why? Because a lot of people, a lot of, not everyone, you know, it's not everyone goes in ignorant, but, but some people, they go into marriage thinking, this is, the, this is the solution to my problems. I was this way, but this is gonna make me better. And it will, but not in, the re, not in the way you think. What happens in marriage is when two people do their own thing and now they come together and they have to live with one another, all the turmoil of, of all of that, figuring that married life, what, what does it do? It brings to the surface what was in there. And maybe, you didn't even know it was in there. You hadn't seen it. Greed, anger, impatience, lust, laziness, whatever. Marriage will bring it to the surface. Right? And then you either, you have two choices. You either, well, three choices. Just live in an absolutely miserable marriage, divorce, or grow, or change. Change. Sometimes I think maybe like we've, we've come into a relationship with Jesus and we think this is gonna be the solution to all our problems and then we find that actually as Jesus said to his disciples, if you wanna be my disciple, you need to deny yourself and pick up your cross daily and follow me. And I can imagine when he first said that, maybe some of the guys going, did he say cross? Did I hear that right? I have to pick up my cross and follow him. Daily. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to pick up your cross daily and follow me. So this is what our trials do. They bring to the surface the gunk that's within. And then a refining fire, a testing fire, in revealing that, then burns that off, leaving that which is good, that which is valuable, that which is pure, right? I think what James is saying is that the storms of life make us strong. That's what makes us strong. The storms of life. If there was one man in the Bible that you might associate with trials, it, it has to be Job, right? I mean, here was a guy who, who lost it all. He experienced that pretty much that whole spectrum. Lost his family, lost his health, lost his wealth. And he was wrestling with where God was in the midst of the fire, in the trials. And the whole book is about that back and forth between him and God. But we have his words recorded from Job chapter 23, verse 10. He says this, when God has tested me, same word we have here, when God has tested me, I will come forth as gold. When I go through this, what's gonna come out on the other end is something more pure, something that's better. Not when I, when I go through trial, when I'm tested, I'm gonna get gold. Like, oh, I endured that. Here's your reward. I mean, maybe there's some of that. I think we'll go to heaven and, 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 and God will say, you were faithful with that hard thing. Here is a reward for you. But, but that's not what Job is talking about. He's saying, not that I'm gonna get gold when, I, when I've gone through this, but I'm gonna become gold. The reward, the blessing is not what you get. It's what you become. Again, God doesn't transform us primarily through, through our triumphs, 
but, but through our trials. And so we wrestle with that question. Everyone does throughout, I mean, all times, all places, times in history. Why does God allow the righteous to suffer? And, and James isn't trying to give a, a complete answer to this question. But what he's showing us is that God is not an ambulance driver. Some of us might think God is an ambulance driver, that we have some sort of accident, some crisis, we call upon God, he hops in the ambulance, he gets over there, okay, what can we do to make this better? That's not who God is. God isn't responding to our trials. Our trials happen under the sovereign providential control of a God who only wants the best for his people, James says. So God uses trials not, 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 to, not to punish us, but to perfect us. This is what James is saying. He's not wronging us, but he's refining us through a refining fire. And so what James would say is there is no pain. There is pain in life. There is suffering in life. There's no way around it. But no pain with God is without purpose. Sorry about that crackle. No pain is without purpose. He said, any pain you experience in trials, it is, don't, don't think of it as the pain of death. It is the pain of childbirth. God is bringing about life. Something more beautiful, more wonderful through trial. Trials are the pathway to maturity, James says. This is why he calls us to consider them with joy. So how, if, if that's why, if trials are the pathway to maturity and that's why we are to consider it pure joy when we face them because God is transforming us through them Trials then are not a, a barrier to the good life. Trials are the way to live the fullest life. As painful as they may be. How? How do we find joy in trials? I mean, some of you, this is a very relevant question right now with what you're going through. How do we find joy in trials? Verse four there, James says, um, let perseverance finish its work. So here's a command. <clears throat> He's, he doesn't say, finish the work. He's not saying you're supposed to be doing anything. He's saying, let something happen. Let the trial, let perseverance finish its work. The work that God is doing in you, through it. James is saying trials, I mean, you only need perseverance if something requires time and you have to bear up under pain during that time. That's the only reason you need perseverance. I don't need perseverance to binge watch a whole season on Netflix. I don't need perseverance to do that. You know what I need perseverance to do? To do my workout. Now, I know some of you go, you don't work out. You don't work out, and I don't work out much. But I'm, you know, it's one of my New Year's resolutions, trying to work out more. And, and you know, one day it's, it's lifting two-pound dumbbells. 
The video says the average guy, four to five pounds, women, three pounds. The rest he's got his two pound dumbbells. Um, abs are the worst. I, a couple days ago, I was doing my, trying to do my 21 minute ab workout. And about three minutes in, it starts to hurt. Right? And if, and, 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 and if, and if you're someone who works out, you know you reach that point where now it starts to be painful and you have a decision to make. What's the decision? Do I keep doing this? Or do I stop and say three minutes? I mean, I had to accomplish something in three minutes. Or do I stop and I turn on TSN and put my feet on the couch and eat Doritos? What? So I, I stopped a couple days ago. I felt bad, but to be honest, I, I, I didn't persevere through it. Trials, James says, take time to transform us. It requires endurance. James says, how you respond to your trial makes all, we're, we're all gonna face trials. That's without question. We all have a decision to make. The decision is how will we respond to the trials of life? And James says, that's gonna make all the difference in the outcome. I think he shows us, shows us that there's two different uh, ways you can respond to a trial. You can either treat your trial as an obstacle or as an opportunity. It's really just one or the other. If, if you see your trial primarily as an obstacle, then what do you do? You just try to get out of it. You try to avoid it, get around it. Uh, the people he's writing to, they're facing trials. This is why he's writing this. And if you read the letter, you can start to piece together what they're going through. One of the reasons those verses we read talk about the rich and the poor is because, as you find out as we'll go through, they were poor people facing exploitation by rich people. Now, probably what's happening is, is they came to put their faith in Jesus Christ out of a pagan culture, and they're being persecuted by employers, by society, by their families because of their faith. And that's, that, that's put them in the poorhouse, and, and, and so, he says, this, this is your trial. And then he warns them against temptation. Because a your, any trial can, can cause you to be embittered. If you view your trial as an obstacle to the good life, your trial will embitter you. And this is why he warns them about, about thinking about their poverty and the trial. And he goes to talk about temptation because that word temptation is actually the exact same word as the word trial. It's just a different form of the same root word. So there's a relationship, Paul says, between our trials and our temptations. When you go through a trial is an external crisis outside of you and a temptation is an inner enticement to sin which comes from how we respond to that trial, that crisis in our life. Your trials, if you don't, or if you view them as obstacles, will, he says, present you with these temptations. He said, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot tempt anyone, nor does, uh, or he cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. I don't want this. I'm gonna get away from this. This is bad. This is a barrier to what's good. 
They're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed and then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. And so he says, viewing your trials as obstacles embitter you and bring temptations and when you indulge that, it, it, it actually leads to death, he says. We, 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 whenever we face trials, we, we will, they come with temptations, right? Marriage struggles. Well, that's, this is hard. It's hard being in this right now. It's hard to be faithful to this person right now. I should be happy. This is a barrier to my happiness. I should go find someone else who's gonna make me happy. If we view our trials as obstacles, it leads to bitterness, which brings temptation, which brings sin, which brings death, and it's just bad path. The path towards life is, is, is the path of not viewing trials as obstacles, but as opportunities, Paul says, or, or James says. He goes on to say, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. God is good. God will do good to you. Even if you don't see it or understand it, know that God is good and everything he, is, he gives and everything he's working in you is for your good. You need to believe that, even if you don't see that in the moment of trial. Because if we run from our trials, that leads to death. But if we run to God in our trials, James says that leads to life. So, so what's the difference there? This is what an, uh, viewing your trial as an obstacle looks like. It, it causes you to ask a question like this. How can I get out of this? That's your primary concern. How can I get out of this? To view Trial as an opportunity causes you to ask a different question. What can I get out of this? So we have to ask ourselves in, all, in our trials, what question are you asking of those two? How can I get out of this? Or what can I get out of this? James is encouraging us to look for the positive in our negative circumstances because he says no matter what's happening, God is at work in you, refining you. And what you need to do is you need to ask him, as painful as this might be, you need to ask God, God, what gift are you wanting to give me through this? What gift are you wanting to give me through this? A.W. Tozer, uh, some of you will know him. He was a great pastor, writer of the last century. He talks about different perspectives facing trials and hardships in life. He talks about this idea here and uses the example of two different types of ground. And so I just wanna read this extended quote because I just think it's so good. He talks about the, I, I asked Nick as the farmer, is it fallow or is it fallow ground? And he said, it's tomato, tomato, doesn't really matter. But I'm gonna say it's fallow because fallow is confusing because we're supposed to follow. The difference between fallow ground and ground that has been broken up by the plow. 
So this is how A.W. Tozer puts it. He says, the fallow field is smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. Such a field as it lies year after year becomes a familiar landmark to the crow and the blue jay. It has stability. Nature has adopted it. It can be counted upon to remain always the same. While the fields around it change from brown to green and back to brown again. Safe and undisturbed, it sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment. But it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life, nor see the wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of of ripening grain. Fruit it can never know, because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. In direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself, yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow and the plow has come as plows always come, practical, cruel, businesslike and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised and broken but its rewards come hard upon its labors. The seed shoots up into the daylight, its miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, and consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered the ground. Nature's wonders follow the plow. So there's two types of people There's fallow people and there's plowed people, right? People that will not permit the plow. People that are interested more in just being instead of becoming, who will be what they are today. James says, be plowed people. Yield yourself to the plow, which God sends into the field the purpose of which is to, though it is painful, produces life, goodness. We have a good example of the plowed life in our Lord Jesus, don't we? I I think of him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Entering this trial of having to die this agonizing death on the cross. And, and I remember Jesus, and we're told that, that as Jesus is there, he says to his father, he says that my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. He didn't say, oh, I'm so excited to die on the cross. I, I've been looking forward to this day for a long time. He says, I'm overwhelmed and I'm feeling sorrow. And then he says, Lord, if you can take this cup away from me, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, then please take it away from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus yields himself to the plow. God, I wouldn't choose it for myself. It's, it's painful, and yet not my will, your will be done. I receive the plow. James here is talking about a yielded life. Jesus yielded himself. 
in his trial to God his Father. And, the cool, and, 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 and though it was sorrowful and painful, yet it was joyful. Because if, if, if you still have your, if you obeyed me and opened your Bible to James chapter 1, if you turn the page, in my Bible it's one page, you're probably at Hebrews chapter 12. And the author of Hebrews writes this, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. This is what James is talking about. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured his trial, the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He didn't avoid it. He bore it. And it says he even bore it with joy. Why? Because he knew what God was doing through it. His joy was the knowledge that we would be here, Stonewall, Manitoba, 2019, and because of what God was doing then, we here could know God. We could know that God is good. We could know that God is for us. We could have life fully, now and forever. And in the midst of all the pain, Jesus counted it joy. And so he says the same thing James said. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We have a good example in our Lord Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on him, run to him in our trials. Let us run with perseverance the race marked. It's not the race you marked out for yourself. You wouldn't mark out for yourself that race. You would have avoided that street. But you didn't mark out the race for yourself. Let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, we can know that God is working in us as we endure whatever it is that God has allowed into our life and that we, if we yield ourselves to the plow, to the trial, to what God is doing, if we look for the opportunity instead of thinking of it solely as just an obstacle to be avoided, we will be greater than what we were. We more and more will know the fullness of life. Who you are tomorrow begins with what you do with the trials of today, James says. So let me ask you, just bringing this to yourself, what trial are you facing? You know, maybe it's some of you teenagers, college students. You're in a setting in your school, in your classroom, where, where maybe you feel very much an outsider, made to feel that way because of your faith. You're on the receiving end of scorn, just as Jesus was on the cross. Maybe it's trial in marriage or trial at work, or maybe you just, maybe it's wanting to be married and, and you're single and you're not married and that's painful for you because you would want something else for yourself. What trial are you facing? It could be big, it could be small. What would it, I want, so, so as you think about that, I wanna ask you this question and I want you to take this home with you. What would it look like for you to treat your trial as an opportunity instead of an obstacle? How are you viewing it? Are you asking yourself, how can I get out of this? 
or what can I get out of this? What would it look like for you to treat that trial as an opportunity instead of an obstacle? What would it look like for you to, to, to believe that maybe God has a gift for you and to have your hands open to receive what it is God, the giver of all good things, has for you? I just want to take a, a moment to allow us to, to ask God that right now. And you can bow your head if you want, close your eyes if you want. And we'll just lead us in, in a minute here of, of uh, just personal prayer. Take a moment to, uh, first of all, just thank Jesus. <laughs> take, take a moment to thank Jesus that he did not avoid his trial. Take a moment to thank Jesus that, that Jesus allowed the plow in and he allowed the plow to do its work and he did it with joy. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Take a moment to thank Jesus. Take a moment to just yield yourself if that's something that you want to do. From your heart, just say, God, I'm, I, there's this thing I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with and I don't want it and I wouldn't have asked for it and I, I'd love if you t- took it away. <clears throat> and yet not my will, but your will be done. Lord, I just yield myself to you. I yield myself to the plow, the work of the plow in my life. Lord, have your way in this trial. Take a moment to yield yourself to God. Take a moment to say, God, I believe that you have a gift and that this pain is not without purpose. This pain is a pain of childbirth. You're, you, I, don't know, I don't know what you're birthing in me, but you're birthing something. Something new, something good. I want to receive that gift. I don't want this to be wasted. Lord, what gift do you have for me in this? Help me to view this trial not not just as an obstacle, but as an opportunity for something better. Lord, how do I do that? Let's talk to God.